0: Hey there, and welcome back to Food Biz Whiz. This episode is for you if you have created a great product, started into sales, and they're going pretty well, and you find yourself thinking, now what? Well, today we are covering how to develop a successful pipeline of innovation, ensuring your business is positioned for growth through product development. I am joined by one of my favorite thinkers in the CPG space, Kevin Ryan, uh, the founder and CEO of Malachite Strategy and Research, a CPG, retail, and food service focused insights and innovation agency. You are, go- you guys, are going to enjoy hearing from Kevin just as much as I love chatting with him. So let's get right to it. You're listening to Food Biz Whiz, the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Ali Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going. This episode is brought to you by Retail Ready, my online course for producers of packaged product who are looking to grow their wholesale accounts. Retail Ready is opening for enrollment very soon. Through videos, workbooks, checklists, templates, live coaching calls with me, and daily access to me and my team in our private online group, Retail Ready has all the tools that you need to increase your sales through wholesale accounts, whether that's in traditional brick and mortar outlets or through e-commerce platforms. The first step to find out more about Retail Ready is to join my free masterclass on the three steps to growing your packaged food business, which I'll link to here in today's show notes. That hour-long webinar is jam-packed with advice that you can use to kickstart your growth right now, plus information on Retail Ready, on my past clients, and how we can work together. Sign up via the link in my show notes, and I will see you there. Welcome, Kevin. Great to have you on the show today.
1: Hey, Allison. Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. So Kevin, I rarely let my guests introduce themselves, but you have such a robust background in the food industry that I'm going to turn the mic over to you sooner rather than later. So you were the head of strategy at Amazon, overseeing the corporate brand and advertising strategies for the for Global Prime and the non-prime brand. Before that, you were the director of strategy and innovation at General Mills, for 15 years, you led corporate and brand initiatives globally from YoPlay and Greater China to haagen in Europe and Asia, as well as leading product development for Cheerios, Pillsbury, and Annie's here in the US. I mean, gosh, you, you have done a lot. So let's just, let's just start there. Tell me how you support brands in the industry now and what led you to start Malachite?
1: Um, yeah, so uh, thank you for that. Good summary. <laughs> I should capture that just so that I can remember exactly how you summed it up so well. Well, you um, got a
0: lot in there. I was like, how am I, I going to get it in? <laughs> there's
1: a lot in there. Um, yeah. So, I mean, most of my career has been front end strategy. So the early, early stages of innovation, the early stages of, of strategy for brands or for corporations, basically helping people figure out the there before mm-hmm. you're there Um and uh, I still do the same thing. So I did yeah. that within General Mills. I did the same thing within Amazon. And now I do the same thing. I usually get clients who ask me to, um, to help them build a pipeline, uh, help them with their, their long-term strategy, just to kind of figure it out. Because it is a, as we've, you know, uh, people mm-hmm. in this space always call it the fuzzy front end. Yeah, um, it is. It's kind of fuzzy. You're not really sure what to do. It's very ambiguous.
0: Well, and I see that a lot. Right. And I'm sure you do, too. These like I said in the intro, like people start with a great product. They start with this great idea. They see some space. They see a hole in the market and they launch, you know, maybe one skew, two skews, three SKUs, And then they're like, all right, well, what happens next? I did it.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, usually what happens is and I, I get this all the time with some clients is they you know they start a company because they're the consumer and mm, they see yeah. the need they see the hole that's there and they've hacked their way into it and they've said you know i you know i started making these muffins i started making these cookies i started and you know like whatever it may be and they say i think other people might like them and so they start making them and then they're successful and then they start to launch you know if they if they launch cookies at the beginning someone's like well you're 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 you've got great distribution you should launch yeah. something else and you say yeah. oh i'm going to launch muffins and muffins fail
0: <laughs> yeah right? like
1: i don't know why they failed and that's just you know it's a it's a number of reasons but it's a common um story i hear from folks is that they um they don't know what's next after that uh, and yeah. um,
0: Run. right you know it only I I've struggled with this in my own business right it's like well I did my zone of genius I like did my thing like how do I become a muffin maker when I'm a cookie baker I totally right. get that okay yeah. um I'm excited I'm really excited to talk about this but let's I'm gonna backtrack for one second Kevin mm-hmm. tell me tell me what you mean like uh, at a high level about a um pipeline, a pipeline of innovation. Like if someone has never heard that phrase before, what do you mean when you say that?
1: Yeah, it's about building, uh, and I'll even add more terminology to it, building a portfolio. So what we mean is, is that um, it's a pipeline of products. So it's like not just what you're going to launch in the next six months, but what you could launch in the next three to five years. Mm -hmm. That's a a pipeline of product. Uh, So you have to have some sort of strategy about what you're going to be doing in the next three to five year in the sense of product, but also in the sense of marketing, uh, advertising, mm-hmm. all of that. And then the term portfolio typically means um, uh, maybe even the, the, the locations you're going to be doing it, the products uh, and it does have to be balanced. You have yeah. to balance how you 're going to be launching different things when you 're going to launch them because you don 't want to overextend yourself in in one area versus another. you want to make sure that you're you know you 're talking to the right consumers and then the last thing I would say is you also want to make sure that what you 're launching um, is giving you the the return on investment uh, mm-hmm. that you need in order to continue to fund your business while still being. Uh, bringing good news to your, you know what I mean? It's bringing (laughs) news. You're not just launching a Me Too that's not going to go anywhere. You're actually launching something that is uh, different and better potentially than what's else on the shelves.
0: Yeah. One of the examples that immediately comes to mind is thinking about Hint Water. Mm. And Mm -hmm. remember then they launched a sunscreen and it was like, how did they go from water to sunscreen? And yet from this like you know, from an outsider like perspective, you're like, what the heck are you doing? And for some reason it worked, right?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. It was,
0: that was wild to watch, a, I don't know, a couple of years ago at this point.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is, and and we can chat about this, uh, is it's, they know their consumer. Right. And again, it goes back to some people are super successful even after that initial launch into the second, third, fourth launch or whatever it may be, because they're still in touch with the consumer and they potentially yeah. might be the consumer as people used to always say, Steve jobs was the ultimate fanboy, uh, <laughs> And that's one of his claims to fame is that he knew what he wanted yeah. and that's what he ended up building for, for Apple. And some, um, you know, some, some startups are the same. Some of the founders are the same that they continually build what they want. And uh, they have a large enough consumer base that has a, a similar mindset.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I see this in retail already a lot, right? We get it goes one of two ways. Either you're the exact consumer for your brand, and like that can be very powerful, like you just said, or people are launching products where they're not the consumer at all. And that can, that can, you know, that's a struggle in a different way because you can't speak the language of your consumer. You can't just get into their brain and think, what would they want next? It really requires a, a different you know um, brand strategy and a different a different team that 's going to help you get there
1: right yeah, I mean and sometimes too it 's like you still might be the consumer, but your um, foothold. Uh, and that might be a new term to some folks, but the foothold consumer—the you know the consumer that you kind of um, started with and, and, and began your growth—might be so niche that you really can't grow much beyond that, yeah. and you have a hard time getting into a more mass audience. Yeah, uh, getting your yeah. mind around that, and so that takes takes some doing as well.
0: Yeah. We talk about it in retail ready as the, the core consumer, the Mm -hmm. crowd around your core and then the halo and kind of thinking through Mm -hmm. the different levels and you know, how you, you know, where you start with that core consumer, you know, evolves over time as well. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so Kevin, we, I'm sure you see a lot of like what not to do. So I, I always like to start there. So, you know, we've got this great idea. We started our company, we've got our high sales or, you know, really good sales. And then we, then we struggle, right? I'm sure you see brands struggle to create this portfolio. What, what typically are brands doing wrong where they get to this point and where they're stuck?
1: Yeah. I mean, typically what they end up doing is they, um, they dig themselves into a hole, <laughs> uh, by continually making maybe the, uh, I, I guess two things. One is they continue to make the same thing, but just like 900 flavors of it. And it, uh, it, it, yeah. it becomes overwhelming. Yep. Uh, and they, they end up having a very long tail that they can't support. Yep. Um, or two they listen too much to, you know, other folks that maybe don't even know the consumer they're going after and say, you should be making this, you should be making that versus listening to their, their consumer uh, instead. Uh, and sometimes that advice that they're hearing from others might be good. And other times it may just be, um, it, it's just, you know, it, it's someone that they, that they listen to, but, but really shouldn't be.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like my sister-in-law giving me business advice. I'm like, Anna, you're an accountant in Connecticut. Like, you know, right. you don't know anything about the CPG space. I love you, but I, I'm not going to take your advice on what course I should launch next.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because what happens is, is that you just get overextended. And I right. think that's another, that's another, um, a whole other issue too, is that, uh, you know, a lot of. Startups that I know, you know, they they end up buying, uh, you know, getting over their head in the sense of capital, uh, in the sense of um, trying to please too many people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. versus building a very strong base and then going um, from there.
0: Yeah, i I have a free masterclass, and mm-hmm. one of the one of the things I talk about is don't trust your friends and family. Like, yeah. it just they're not the people who you should take um, product development advice from. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Exactly. I think we could end the episode right there. Don't trust. Don't trust your grandma. Um, okay, so. I want to I want to talk about this idea of budget that you just mentioned here, and I one of the challenges that I see brands brands have time and time again is this idea that you know I don't have a large budget. I mean, sure, Kevin, I agree with you that I've got to ex- create this portfolio, but but I don't have that much money. So, can we talk about the numbers here? Like, does creating this pipeline require investment in consumer research or you know product development? Um, I think about like. I mean, you're a you're a food scientist, right? You have a yep. a degree in food, food science. science. Yep. I mean, that's we're talking a lot of money here. Like, does is that required as we think about growing the portfolio?
1: Um, no, it really doesn't. I think that's what usually surprises people. I mean, does it take time and energy? Yes. So if you equate that to money, then yes, it does take some. But from the sense of um, and I hate the word scrappy, but I'm gonna say scrappy. Yep. You can be very scrappy about this, and it's just as valid as anything that you could do in a big, uh, giant CPG. And what I mean by that is if you wanna get close to the consumer, um, it just requires talking to them. And that doesn't mean that you have to go and do some very expensive ethnographic work or things like that. Go where they are and talk to them and uh, have these conversations. If you're trying to develop something, uh, you know, a a plant or a factory is just a scaled up kitchen. You You can develop things and talk to them and make things. So it's it gets a little bit overblown, and I think people listen again. People listen to people mm-hmm. who are experts and think they have to do these gigantic studies. And at the end of the day, at least in my experience, you don't.
0: Yeah, no, we don't. We don't do that in retail ready. We've got like a very, very short, like very, um, very specific target audience. Um, survey that we do. And, you know, we're looking at surveying six to 10 people who are your core consumers who have purchased from you in the past Who, you know, once we figure out who they are and what are the appropriate questions to ask them, you mm-hmm. know, that it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to cost anything except your time.
1: Right. It doesn't. And the thing you have to do is you have to make sure that when you're talking to them, that you're talking broadly to them. And what I mean by that is too often when people start asking questions of this consumer, they just want to know what they think of, we'll go back to the example we're using before, cookies. Yeah. Like, tell me what you think about cookies. And that's the wrong way to go in because people are only, um, and if you're familiar with the jobs to be done, um, mindset, they're only hiring the cookies yeah. to do a job, yeah. uh, whatever that may be. They may be hiring another product to do another job. And if you don't talk outside of just cookies, you talk, You need to talk about uh, beverages and other things that they may be utilizing to fulfill that job, yep. then you'll miss the insight yes. that you could use to grow your business.
0: Yes, absolutely. I, I think that that's so valid. I had a a tortilla chip client for a long time and they were convinced that they didn't have any competition besides other tortilla chip brands. I was like, no. oh no, no, no. Like, <laughs> what are these people eating when they're not eating tortilla chips? You know, we've got it, it, three it, it, dozen it, things that we've got to look at here.
1: Yes. There's a lot of, um, uh, we used to always say in in in, in Big CPG, sheriff's stomach. Like, mm. so what are you... Um, And what can you steal from? Where can you steal the job from? And you do have to look broad. I mean, if you look at it, a lot of foods steal jobs from beverages and the other way around. So uh, coffee has lately the popularity of coffee. And I say lately because I'm old and it's (laughs) been like 15 years since coffee became extra popular. But um, coffee success came at the expense of And I say that in the best way possible. It came at the expense of stealing uh, jobs from a lot of food that people normally would have had Mm. uh, something. And now beverage does that. And that's the way that you should think about it. And the great thing about that, thinking about it that way, is it opens your mind to the idea that your company does not sell a product. That's not what your company does. Mm-hmm. Your company solves a problem, and you have to think like that. And if you if you think like that, then it's very expanse, expansive in the way that you think. Yeah. Um, and so when you talk to these consumers, you have to think about it in that way, and it opens up your mind to the potential for your pipeline. Oh,
0: I, I love that. I love thinking about it like that. Um. Okay, I've got one more question. This is off script. I've got one question off script regarding budget and money. And one of the things that I that I get concerned about with with my retail ready students launching extensions or you know creating portfolios is that they're creating products in different categories, right? Like say they are I think of one woman in particular in Vancouver who has a a bone broth line and she is is you know has these bone broths that are based in ayurvedic principles and she's like okay so i want to do a line extension of other Ayurved- ayurvedic foods and i totally support that but then i think she's got to talk to a different wholesale buyer she's in a different category she needs another marketing budget she yep. you know there are all of these things that essentially are forcing her to create an entire other Sales pipeline, an entire other you know business model going from frozen broths to let's say shelf stable i don't know spice mixes um and that's expensive. How do we navigate that?
1: yeah, I mean, I, like I said before about building a strong base before you extend outward mm. uh, you know it's it's like a like a plant you know like an actual you know a, a living plant mm-hmm. it has to have strong roots before it can grow you know, up and out. And so I would say that make sure that your, your base is strong, that you have a a brand that you've started in a particular category before you start extending yourself outward. And when you do go into those categories to exactly what you were saying, you have to know what the obstacles are. It doesn't yeah. mean that that's going to stop you, right? but right. you do have to understand that. And then one more, um, thing I would add on top of that would probably be knowing the competitive set there really well, because sometimes it's just going to be hard to get, um, uh, you know, real estate uh, there. And, uh, you know, how are you going to be seen? And also understanding, um, as I said, I think at the beginning of this, how are you different? How are you better? You have to ask that question of this new competitive set. And oftentimes, if you're not um, used to this category, you may be taking the category norms, in your mind of that cat of your mm, old category yeah. and moving it over and it sure. doesn't always work like that. You're in a new neighborhood, there's new rules.
0: Exactly. And I think, you know, it goes back to this idea and I think I think you said this at the beginning that we're really looking at the pipeline with a 3 to 5 year plan, right? So yeah. it's it's like you said she establishes the roots for the first few years and then she's ready to grow into the new category rather than I mean, I think about myself as this, like, you know, we're all entrepreneurs here. So it's like, what's next? What's next? What's next? Without creating that, that foundation, which potentially, you know, if I am understanding you correctly, um, Kevin, it's, it takes years. It can take years.
1: It takes years and you have to, I know it's, it's hard because we do live in a very fast paced and we think that everything moves really quick, which it does. But if you don't have that longer term pipeline, if you don't, as the old saying, you know, I think it was supposed to be Wayne Gretzky, you know, you have to know where the puck is going Um, and (laughs) that's where you aim at. And that puck is five years away. So think about yourself. Think about your company as what it's going to look like in five years Mm -hmm. and then you you, you go backwards. You plan backwards. Yeah. You, you, you move it backwards. And if you're not thinking to that level, you're going to be making these very short-term moves, very short-term investments. And then pretty soon it's going to be five years and you're still making short-term moves yeah. and you could have been doing something bigger.
0: Yeah. Gosh. Okay. This is a great place for us to pause. So I'm going to take a second and we will be right back. Hang tight. If you've been enjoying these episodes, imagine what it would be like to ask clarifying questions directly to me and have my assistants working through your strategy on these topics. Well, you can. My Retail Ready students have access to me live in our private online group and on our monthly coaching calls, and I'd love to see you in there as well. Retail Ready enrollment opens again really soon and kicks off with my free masterclass on the three steps to growing your packaged food business. I have that linked here in the show notes and I can't wait for you to join to learn more about me and how I work with clients to find out whether Retail Ready is the right fit for you and to learn my three steps to growing your packaged food biz. Come join me via the link in the show notes and I'll see you there. Okay, Kevin, we're back and I've got a few things that I want to talk about for the rest of our episode here. The first one I I want to get back to this. Still this idea of like, what are the other like red flags or things you see brands doing wrong as they create this, as they think about innovation. And then I want to talk about launches and how we, we balance launches. You know, when are we doing them? What time of year? When, where in our growth stage. So before we talk about launches, is there anything else that we need to cover here about what startups do, do wrong when they think through innovation?
1: Um, I think the first one I would say uh, is, and you see this in big companies too, so startups aren't the only thing you see, is um, if they have an issue or if they, if they need, uh, you know, cases on the sheet, so to speak, uh, they, they say, let's ideate. Let's just go ideate. Yep. Let's come up with an idea. Let's get in a room and ideate. And if that's your first inclination, then you're just, you're doing it wrong. Like you're not, because I know that's what everyone wants to do. They think ideas are the solution and ideas are not the solution because what you're end up going to do is you're probably going to default back to yourself and what you want. And like, again, Mm -hmm. we'll go back. If you're the consumer, great. Then you're probably going to come up with a great idea. But if you haven't figured out the needs of your consumer, and if you're not basing uh, your ideation on that specifically- Mm -hmm. And uh, you're just going to be going in circles. And I see too many folks do that where they think the first thing they should do is ideate when, in fact, you have to go slow to go fast. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have to do your homework. uh, And you have to get a nice base of intuition around this consumer, around the needs, all that kind of stuff. And then you can ideate, but not before. And I see too many, too many folks doing that.
0: Yeah. I, I hear you on that. I've been, <laughs> I've made this mistake myself, right? It's like, Oh, I'll just, I'll go to the woods and I'm going to brainstorm for a couple days. And that's, that's not necessarily the best way to do
1: it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you, um, and again i've seen so many folks do it uh within you know giant cpg uh, companies as well but and it is something that we all become enamored with the idea but the thing is is that even with big cpg and even small startups ideas are a dime a dozen like everyone yes, has yes. ideas <laughs> and you see so many big companies yes. uh they have just uh, file folders full of ideas. Yeah, And all the ideas that their competitor launched was in a file folder. Yeah. So it really doesn't have anything to do with ideas, even though we all, we worship at the altar of ideas. Uh, but it's really about focus mm-hmm. and about finding focus and staying focused. That's where, that's the key. And once you do that, then you can kind of uh, like a um, icebreaker, right? You can go right through the ice yeah. and you can continue to go. But if you're just jumping into a conference room and coming up with ideas all the time, you're, you know, uh, you're just moving around. You're never really going to get to where you want to go.
0: Yeah. Oh, gosh, that, that, that piece of focusing on focus is, it's hard for us. It's, yes. hard. it's really hard. Yeah.
1: I've been doing it for years and I, I still have to tell myself all the time that focus is the core of innovation and it's the core of running a company well yep. it's just yep. to stay focused
0: yep oh gosh you are speaking my language i'm i'm gonna, <laughs> this is an episode that i'm gonna have to listen myself a few times over um when i when i start getting distracted with my own ideas okay are can we talk about launching absolutely all right so you know you've convinced my listeners, you know, my listeners in year three, five, seven, who are like, okay, yes, we are, we are ready. We are, (laughs) we're not going to go to a room in the wood, a cabin in the woods and throw ideas on the wall. We're going to, you know, get back to our target consumer. We are going to, you know, figure out our portfolio. We're ready to go. Then what, right? They're like, we're going to we're going to do a big launch. This is going to be this is going to be special. Like, how do we figure out how do we balance it with running our business? How do we figure out when to do it? Like, what are we thinking through as we think about launching new new product extensions?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's there's of course amazing number of things to think about as you go into launch and i, I one of the things that even amongst big cpgs had to figure out that a giant launch is not the doesn't have to be the norm anymore mm. that there are ways to do test launches and smaller launches in order to get a sense of whether or not, because once you get it into like, once you get into Walmart, it's out there, it's done. There's no pulling it back. (laughs) Very difficult. Right. So there are ways to do smaller test launches. And so, you know, working with um, retailers, local retailers, just to Mm -hmm. see because even sending out a survey or talking to a consumer Oftentimes, they'll tell you, yeah, that's great. I, that would be awesome. But they're not going to put their money where yeah. their mouth is. Yeah. So you learn some of that stuff when you do some of the smaller test launches and things like that. So that's what I would, you know, I, I recommend that, again, it's not about going fast right away. That if yeah. you, you only have, you know, one uh, one time to make a first impression, you you do it slow, a little bit slower, and then you'll have great success on the other side of it.
0: Yeah, because in, inevitably we're not going to get it right on the first time. Right. I mean, I see it happen every once in a while, but like, gosh, I mean, (laughs) it's rare and it, it, it's even, you know, something as simple as like, oh shoot, I should have, I should have phrased that differently on the packaging or, you know, I think about Sylvie with just dates are up when, when we did the initial launch, like the squeeze bottle was like physically too challenging to squeeze, right? And we're like, oh, we got to find a different bottle that like, isn't so hard to physically squeeze yes. the dates yeah. are up out of, right? So it's, it's little things like that where you, you don't know until it's in the hands of consumers and it's in front of those wholesale buyers.
1: Exactly. And, and there's ways to try that out. And, you know, I hate the phrase fail fast because it's, yeah. it's not a complete phrase. It should be fail fast and learn fast. And Mm -hmm. if you're just failing, that's no one wants to fail. Uh, (laughs) But if you're learning fast, that's great. So the faster that you can get a squeeze bottle in front of a core consumer and try it out. And even if it's got nothing in it or, you know what I mean, just to kind of get a sense of that, the more you're going to learn, the faster you're going to learn so that you don't have to do it all the way at the end. So as long as you're constantly in this iterative mindset, that's perfect. That's exactly where you want to get to.
0: Yeah. And I think you, you know, you mentioned something um, that like starting with those independents and those smaller stores and, you know, is is the way to go. Because, you know, say you're in Target, (laughs) Walmart, (laughs) you know, Kroger's, like it's too late.
1: It is absolutely too late. And a lot of these smaller retailers, they they like being the retailer to be... um, uh, especially if it's local, they want to yeah. test it out. They want to be yep. the one to have something cool and different, and all that. Uh, it's forming those relationships, oftentimes with some of those local retailers. You can get a lot of bang for your buck. You can get yeah. in there. You can run little stands. You can do that kind of stuff, and they'll, they'll they'll give you a lot more latitude than you think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I that that was my role at Buy right You know, I was we had two locations, and I was in charge of helping nurture these brands on our shelves. And it just meant meeting after meeting of saying, you know, this is working. This is not working. Have you thought about this? Can we change the price here? You know, it's just so much feedback for those, those emerging brands, um, which ultimately led me to start my consulting business. I, I love talking about stuff like this. Okay. So a few other things. So as we think about launches, I've got I've got one question that we we didn't say we were going to talk about, Kevin, but I want to ask you here. How has how has COVID affected the launch cycle? And do you think it's more or less risky to launch in this time of uncertainty?
1: Um, I think it depends on your category. It mm. depends on what you're doing. I mean, I think there are some categories that are probably perfectly fine to to, to launch in right now. I mean, uh, people are at home. You have to think about all of that. I mean, there's a, other aspects, you know, people are not commuting as yeah. much. Uh, so if your product is all about that, then maybe you should pause or maybe you should pivot. Uh, yep. You know, it, it depends on that. So I think it depends. Whereas for other products that maybe really meet the needs of someone who is uh, under quarantine, uh, <laughs> that makes sense. And maybe yeah. this is a good time to do yeah. it because you have, but I always, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I do a lot of ethnographic research where mm-hmm. we, we talk to people and there's always a saying within the ethnographic community that you kind of shut down around the holidays because it's not normal eating. Mm-hmm. Like people aren't eating yeah, right. So true. if you do, <laughs> if you do uh, interviews during that time, you're like, well, I just interviewed people to learn about the holidays. I didn't really right. learn about normal life, exactly. and I partially think it's the same right now. I mean, yeah. I'm still doing those type of interviews, but with with the caveat. So, mm-hmm. you even in this launch perspective, you have to know, okay, it's a little different, and when things open back up again, it's it's going to be. Uh, you have to prepare for that in some ways.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's such a great point. I mean, I think about using our cookie our cookie baker example. If that person is interviewing people in Q four. You know, they're getting a skewed perspective of how many cookies are consumed week in and week out.
1: Right. Yeah. 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 You 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 have to just you have to understand the context. And yeah. that's really key. Yeah. Understanding context is you not only you have to understand the need, you always have to understand the context because that can change things radically.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of I think it was you in your newsletter, Culture Matters, who talked mm-hmm. about like the the challenge with um breakfast foods that are on the go right now, you know, whether that's the granola bars or the breakfast cookies or anything like that. Was this you who who talked about yes. how they're really struggling right now?
1: Yeah, theres there's been some uh, some issues and, and it has to do with, again, it is with the context because if you think about it, your needs when you have time to sit down and have breakfast are different than your needs on the go. Uh, mm-hmm. On the go, it's typically the most important thing is getting out the door yeah. and getting um, something into your stomach before you get out the door. Whereas if you're you know, sitting at home, you have the luxury of, of sitting and then um, your, your needs change. So you have, to, you have to consider both of those.
0: Totally. I mean, I have consumed so many more eggs <laughs> this year oh. than, I, than I ever did because I'm actually taking the time to, to make a hot breakfast in the morning.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think that's true of everyone. And But uh, uh, the companies that are hopefully not relying on that to be uh, the new normal, because things are yeah. going to go back, they're right. going to go back uh, to some sense of um, normal, whatever that may be you know uh understanding how that's gonna change you know it's gonna it's gonna help some some categories and hurt others,
0: yeah, so you're i want to be clear, we're not saying if you make a granola bar or you make a breakfast an on the go breakfast item you're not you're not screwed forever. we're no. just talking about <laughs> changed changed behavior right now, but um there will be a time when the commute comes back,
1: yes, the commute comes back and then it's it's also it's it's a possibility for new, it's Mm a new apertures to form. I mean, that's just it is that commuting may come back, but maybe uh, the new normal is uh, people working from home half the time. Yep. And so this is a good test run for some things and you get a better understanding. So it's a great opportunity just to kind of see what, how things are going to potentially change in the, the, the new markets that might open.
0: Yeah, and it all it all goes back to studying your target consumer like you said at the beginning, right? You can't yes. develop a product for them unless you're studying what they're doing and what problems what problems they have so you develop products that solve those problems.
1: Yes, and really getting detailed about it. I find that a lot of folks, when they say, oh, they have this problem, I know what that problem is because I have something similar. Mm. So the example I'll give is I've done a lot of research on, um, low income consumers. Okay. And, uh, the thing is is that when I have teams that say, "Oh, low income consumers. Oh, yes, I didn't have a lot of money when I was in college and I had mm. to eat a lot of ramen." And it's like, mm, "You don't really understand the the life challenges that some of these lower income consumers have because being in college and not having a lot of money is not the same." Yeah. So, that's a different. It, you have to understand the whole life, the comprehensive life challenges to understand their choices versus your proxy for it which may not have all everything else and you do have to get that detailed uh to really understand what's driving your consumer and what kind of product to make yeah
0: and i think it's it's so easy to put our own filter on on things right like i can see why that you know that that team member would say i was once a broke college kid like i understand yes. what it's like you know we just put our own we put our own perspective on everything and it's so It can be so challenging to remove ourselves from that.
1: Exactly. There's a saying in um, innovation, which is um, the easiest products to make for people are products you're going to make for yourself or for your mom. (laughs) Uh, because it's just, you have empathy for those two people. And so you always kind of go back, but the challenge oftentimes in innovation is to break out of that and just have the awareness of mind that these folks that are your consumer are not you and that other people think differently than you. And um, you have to leave your mind open to the idea that someone might want something that you don't, which is a challenge. That is a a challenge.
0: challenge. That, that but is the bigger challenge.
1: your company gets, the more you're going to have to start potentially marketing to people that aren't you.
0: Yeah, I yeah. mean, I don't. I I think we could do a whole other episode on how do you do that. But um, yeah, that's that's it's such a key thing to realize that at some point, likely our our consumers are not us, right? Right. It goes. Yeah. It goes beyond what we think. Um, and what we need as people,
1: right, yeah, exactly. and that is that is a real challenge because again, going back to what we said, we default back to ourselves, which is why you can make uh, uh, you can have a, a problem uh, in the way you develop a product because mm. what do we do? We go in, we taste it, and we're like, oh, I like that. Yeah. well, but if you're not the consumer. The best example I've had is that is I remember I had a client who I was sitting into a tasting, a cutting, as they would call it. Mm -hmm. And they were trying out a new product and um, the CEO ate it. And he's like, oh, this, I don't like this at all. Mm -hmm. And the R&D director, I I give her tons of credit. She's like, well, no offense, but you're not the consumer. Yeah, Because she had done the hard work. And she just said, you may not like it, but we've tested this. They love it. So yeah. <laughs> sorry, but it's not gonna work for you.
0: I love this story. I love it. I mean, I have I have retail ready students do the same for me. They're like, Allie, can you, can I send you my product? Like I wanna know what you think about it. And I'm like, I am not your target consumer. No, no events, but like who cares what I think about it? You know, right. I just uh yeah.
1: I've had a lot of products of like, you know, I, and I, I personally am not vegan or, you know, all that. And I've had vegan products and I'm like, I, I personally don't like them. Some of them, you know what I mean? Because maybe they're too earthy or they're, they're whatever, but I have, you have to think to yourself, I'm not that consumer. And so the way they perceive that taste is possibly a very positive taste to them. So you have to leave your mind open for that.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Whew. I feel like we've covered a lot in this episode. I, I love this. And Kevin, I feel like you've got so many amazing quotes and little like gems, little nuggets of wisdom that I am sure people are latching on to. Um, Like I said, this is going to be an episode that I need to listen to a couple times to make sure I get the most out of it. Before I let you go, tell me, how can people stay in touch with you? I, I briefly mentioned your newsletter, but tell me, tell me where people can find you.
1: Yeah, the best place to go, because my Twitter handle is too long and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> the best place to go is just my website. You can sign up for like my, my Culture Matters newsletter. So it's just malachite-strategy.com. And malachite is like the gemstone, um, M-A-L-A-C-H-I-T-E-hyphen-strategy.com.
0: Perfect. So I will link that in the show notes so people can stay in touch. And like I said, your your newsletter is one of my favorites. I read it. Do you? I can't. I can't remember. Is it weekly or is it biweekly?
1: It's supposed to be weekly, okay. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> but <okay. laughs> as everyone gets busy and I get yeah. really busy, it has slipped to probably every other week. And yeah. then occasionally it's even longer than that. Yeah. But, uh, for those that will sign up, assume that it's going to be approximately every week.
0: Yeah. And you've got your archives on your website too, I think, which is so yeah. cool.
1: There's yeah. more okay. than a few years there. So yeah. people can, 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 uh, read through those.
0: Yes, I love it. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It is such a pleasure to connect with you and pick your brain here.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Okay, my whizzes. I, I really can't say it enough. If you haven't subscribed to Kevin's newsletter, Culture Matters, you definitely want to get on that list today. So it's it's one of my favorite newsletters to read and his examples and analysis of what's going on in the CPG industry keep me thinking every week. So find that link directly in the show notes, along with an invite to continue the conversation in our Food Biz Wiz Facebook group. We've got over 1,500 food and beverage founders in there all working on their growth strategies. So as always, thank you for tuning in today and I will catch you on our next episode. Have a good one and stay busy. Thank you for listening to Food Biz Wiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z-W-I-Z.com for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again
1: for tuning in and stay busy!